Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith. I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, business or personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. And the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us, they're not just salespeople. There are great people, humans, throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories so that we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, I'm really, really excited for this episode. This is another really successful salesperson we got on the podcast. This person is a field reimbursement manager for a pharmaceuticals company. This person, you know, he has been really successful throughout his career in sales. I got to say that. So first and foremost... You know, he's been a customer engagement specialist of 25 years across four different industries. He's won numerous awards and been nominated for sales awards, overall territory growth, gross profit achievement, largest customer gain, and he sets sales records throughout his walk. He's managed sales territories from two to $25 million in annual revenue. Whoa. And is recognized as a people first leader. In his spare time, Brian is the husband of nearly 24 years. Congratulations to his wife, Tanya, and the father of a son, Bryce, a sophomore at Marshall. He's a minister, singer, musician, part-time guest host, and broadcaster for News Radio 800 and 106.3 The Brew in Huntington, West Virginia, and also being the voice of the Calvary Baptist Academy Patriots for the last five seasons. In addition, he also hosts the Intentional Encourager podcast, released weekly and is the author of the book, People Buy From People, releasing July 23rd. Please give a round of applause. Oh, he also is a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan. So please give it a round of applause and welcome Brian Sexton to the podcast. Welcome, Brian. Man, I was really excited when I got your email, Alex, because I thought for a minute I was going to be talking to the quarterback of the Washington Redskins. (laughs) And how's the leg, by the way? (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) I'm I'm taking it day by day. I got a pretty big hit there. Don't you wish you had that guy's money? (laughs) I I do. I do. Yeah. How you Um, doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Alex Smith, the quarterback of the Washington Redskins, or former your Washington um, Redskins, my own. I'm a huge football fan, and I happen to, you know what? I actually bought his jersey for everyone. So, like, everyone wants a like a personalized NFL player's jersey. Well, my name is in the NFL, so every time people say Alex Smith, they think, oh, quarterback. So yeah. I wanted him to have his first four or five games before I jinxed him and he was doing really well. And so I'm like, I'm buying the Jersey, bought yep. the Jersey next week, career <laughs> possibly yeah. ended and yeah. he's gone for the season, possibly his career. So I'm like, well, I where I live I'm is not too far. Well, where I live is not too far from where Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, my Cincinnati Bengals, I don't live too far from where Joe Burrow is from. He's from a little town called the Plains, Ohio, which is about an hour and a half away. And, yeah, so there's excitement, my man. Whenever sports gets going, we'll be right there for it. But, man, I can't thank you enough for for having me on your podcast. I have been really looking forward to this. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to it too, man. I'm looking forward to it too. So let's get into it. Got you. You're in sales, pretty successful in sales. So I first question really is about you, man. I want to ask you what things, what people, what events have really made you, you? That's an easy question, Alex. It started for me 25 years ago when I got the single greatest piece of advice that I've ever gotten and will have ever gotten to this day. I was entering my senior year of college at Marshall. I really wanted to drop out of school because I was just burned out. I was working two jobs. I worked in a grocery store for about 25 hours a week. And then from August to March, I worked at our local newspaper in the sports department two nights a week, answering the phones and doing other things. So I was working a couple of jobs. I had, I had a couple of girlfriends, not at the same time, but I dated a girl for about three years in college and that wow. ended. And then I dated another girl that lived in Northern Virginia And that ended too. And I was kind of to the point where I was like, man, I am so done with school. Mm -hmm. So I finished my my senior year. I finished one class short because I screwed around and 
didn't go to class and it was a geology class that I needed to get a marketing degree. Go figure. And so I was lucky enough that I got a job with a food service brokerage company, the largest food service brokerage company in Kentucky. And they had a couple lines in West Virginia. And so I, I got on with them. Man, I was 22 years old. It was 25 years ago. I was 22 years old. And my dad pulled me aside one day and he said, son, never forget people buy from people. And that's why I wrote the book that's coming out and, and I'm releasing it on my parent, what would have been my parents' 49th wedding anniversary because that's the homage that I wanted to pay to my dad. It was the best piece of advice I got then. And it's still, my dad's been gone almost eight years and it's still the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten. And so that's my hat tip to my dad is to write the book people buy from people because that advice served me so well. I love that phrase and statement. And I'd like to stay there for a second before going yeah. to my next question. What does that mean to you? What is that defined as? Because when I hear that, I hear it's high level. It's kind of, you know, some people might say it's fluffy. Okay, I get it. You know, of course people buy from people. But what specifically defines that for you? What does that mean? It's consistently making them believe that they are the most important people to your business. Mm -hmm. That what they do is so vitally important to your business that you want to make sure what you do for their business is just as equally and vitally important. Because a lot of times salespeople, and I manage commission-based salespeople, mm -hmm. at times my people got really greedy. It was about their commission. Mm -hmm. It was about their order. It was about, well, I've got to have this. because, And it wasn't about, okay, well, that's great. What's in it for your customer? What are you doing for your customer? day in and day out, that's helping them achieve the goals that they want to achieve. What are they gaining from the relationship with you? And so when you think about people buy from people, Alex, what I really think is, how is what I'm selling impacting the life of the person that I'm selling to? Is what I'm selling helping them get their bonus? If they're a small business, is what I'm doing helping them put their kid through college? like I'm putting my kid through college. Is what I'm selling impacting them? And if so, how is it impacting them? Mm. Because then you don't walk in with an ulterior motive. Really, you walk in with the best and the purest of intentions. Yeah, I love that. I always used to say just kind of, you know, in my career in sales, you can, you know, you have a sales methodology, you can have a you know, quote unquote sales pitch, which I hate the word pitch, mm -hmm. or you can have I your too. process. <laughs> you can have, you know, your, your way of selling, let's say, mm -hmm. but that's going to reveal itself differently. Every single person you work with, because the fundamental framework might not change, but the application of it has to, because every person has infinite needs and wants and desires and intrinsic motivations. Yeah. And if you're not yeah. looking at, like, I, I love how you said, you know, how does this impact their life? Like yeah. not just their business. Like, yes, of course, what you have, you want <laughs> salespeople always want to help improve. I mean, I help him. I know I can help improve your business and make you money yeah. and do all these things for, you know, to move your business forward. But if you don't care about that person's life, like you said, like that underlying thing, like what they're, like whole reason is their why their you know what what really drives them then they're not going to be that connected to you and you're just a, another salesperson kind of you're really a vendor kind of just and some people like to be just vendors and you're just yeah. about price and you're selling on price but you're not really creating any lifelong you know well, let's, relationships. let's park on that just a second let's park there for just a minute i, okay. I want to say i want to hit on something you said about pitch okay I was a pitcher in high school. I played high school baseball, and I was a pitcher. Mm -hmm. And we look at baseball today, and pitchers are some of the highest paid players in the game. Mm -hmm. And I've never understood that, even being a pitcher, because to me, the one guy that was directly responsible in a large way to my success was my catcher. And if I didn't have trust with my catcher mm. Mm. to call the game that I needed to throw for us to win, 
then who could I trust? Because if I kept shaking off my pitcher, he would call fastball and I'd be like, no, nah, I feel like a curveball here. And it gets knocked out of the park and the guy takes me deep. Who looks bad? I'm the guy that shook off the catcher. I didn't trust my catcher that he knew the right pitch to call in that particular series. I want to bring that back to sales. A lot of times the salespeople, salesperson is the pitcher. Don't you have to trust your customer enough that what they're calling for what they need in that particular situation, you should be able to deliver in that particular situation. And it's not so much the customer trusting us is that we need to have that same trust or greater trust in the customer. Both ways. Because I hear a lot of salespeople, Alex, say, well, we have to develop trust. We have to develop trust. Well, guess what? Then you've got a one-way selling relationship. If you can't trust your customer to catch and to call the right pitch so that you can deliver the right pitch to help them win, then what do you have? Yeah, one way, like you said, yeah. You know, if you kind of like, I love that analogy too, because if you kind of look at it, you know, kind of staying in that analogy, the catcher really is calling the game for you. He's not calling the game for another pitcher's talents, even though he knows like a fastball could be a great pitch for the batter. Maybe he knows the batter can't hit a curveball, but you don't have a curveball. So like he's Well, that's why the catcher, that's why your catcher, spends that time catching totally. you in the bullpen. Totally. And he knows, and I love what you said there, I was the guy at the back end of the rotation. I was not the guy that threw hard. I was not the ace of our pitching staff, <laughs> even though even though in my high school we won three straight conference championships. I wasn't the go-to guy. So I really had to depend on Mike, the guy that caught me, I really had to depend on him to know in that situation what he felt was best for me to throw. Mm-hmm. And all I had to do was go into the windup, do what I knew how to do, and deliver the ball to the plate. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, he knows knows you well enough, and that trust is going on both years sides. You just later, have... man, 30 years <laughs> later, I still don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Hell, you could have been in major leagues if you maybe had a catcher. There was could have no way, more, man. more out of your talent. No. I would have needed to have been Jamie Moyer and and just (laughs) threw so slow that it would have been impossible. Or I would have had to have had a filthy knuckleball, man. That would have been the only way I would have made it. Cool, man. Cool. Well, hey, you know, I just get a vibe from you that in sales, man, you're just – You're weirded out. Is that the vibe you get? You're weirded out? (laughs) (laughs) With all your sports memorabilia. Maybe as a sports fan, I'm a little concerned or weirded out for you not having sports to watch (laughs) (laughs) because of COVID-19. But there was golf last weekend. I saw that. I was watching that. So, you know what? No, what I was going to say, you have a vibe of just like, you know, Brian's good people. Like, we might not agree on everything, and I, I don't even want to take this at a place to disagree because I know we could, but we're different people in a lot of different ways. You know, background-ish, we have some, you know, similarities. Things we, we have some similarities and things we like. Yeah. We like sports. We probably have some differences in other areas of just, you know, political beliefs. But, you know, my thought of you is he's good people. And Thank I'm you. curious what you would say. Yeah, no problem. What do you think – like I just told you what I think. I mean, you're just somebody that's like comes with that approach. People buy from people. It's all about people's lives. What comes to your mind when you you hear that phrase a lot? Like that person's just good people. Like, what does it mean to you to be good people? I told you that my dad gave me a great piece of advice. My mom gave me a similar piece of advice. My mom said, don't be a butthole. So, you so know, eloquent. Yeah. Don't be a butt. My mom's that way. My mom just says what she thinks. But Alex, the thing that has served me well over the years, no matter in sales, whatever it is, is that I try to find common ground with people. Doesn't matter if they agree with me politically, doesn't matter if they agree with me socially, whatever it is. I have friends, believe it or not, that are liberal Democrats. I'm a conservative Republican. Right. I focus on the common ground that we share. Because there's so much infighting and there's so much minutiae out there 
that you could, you know, if you wanted to, social media would be like two monkeys flinging poop at each other. <laughs> it would just be a oh, back and forth, man, and, and it would stink, and everybody would get dirty really quick. And so I just choose not to do that. And one thing I told my son when he got Facebook, I said, I have three rules. The first rule is if you say it, own it. The second rule is, and that's something my dad told me, if you say it, own it. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, is you don't post anything that's not uplifting, encouraging, funny, or inspiring. And the third rule is if you break either one of those two rules, you're done. Because if you go there, if you let yourself break one of those rules, then you'll constantly be breaking the rules. And then what happens is, because what I say, the reason that ownership and what I say is so important, Alex, is because I have a family that's behind me. They're affected by what I say. I'll give you an example. So I was filling in for a buddy of mine on his talk show one morning. And at that time, Kroger was in a, in a strike. And we've got a ton of Krogers here in West Virginia and Southern Ohio. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, a supermarket chain. And so they were on strike and, and I made a comment about, hey, you know what? If you guys want to stay on strike, stay on strike. They'll just close down. And I had a friend of mine that I sang with. He called and just chewed me on the air, chewed me up one side and down the other because mm -hmm. he was a union rep for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, that wasn't cool. And he was like, yeah, neither was what you said. It wasn't cool. And it took us a while to work through that. But I learned at that point, there are a lot of things that I think that I've got to think through. Yeah. Before or, I say them. Yeah. Or that don't need to be said. Or they you don't can need hold, to be said. Yeah, right. you, can, you can hold back. You can hold yeah. on. What is the intent? Like the name of your podcast. Yep. I mean, yeah. Kind of and what so is, that what is your yeah. end goal? Like when you said that to I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, 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 go ahead. Said, no, when you said that to your son, you know, it's like, what's the whole point of Facebook, anyways? Like, is it to like just do you want to be known? Because it's for life. What you put out yeah. there, you own it. You can't delete Facebook. Yeah, well, think about it this way: colleges have have in the last few years rejected applications of students sure. after they've already been accepted. Sure. They've pulled the acceptance back off of what they've seen on social media. Mm -hmm. We have seen people lose their jobs over things they've said over social media and, yep. and things like that. So when you say it on it, that doesn't mean that you don't have a strong opinion. Nope. That doesn't mean that you don't believe what you believe. But what you have to do is you have to respect the other person enough to say, look, this is what I believe. I'm not apologizing for what I believe. You know, I'm sorry that you don't believe the same way. I'd rather focus on what we agree on. But if you and I disagree on something, Alex, I'm going to let you say what you think and share what you believe respectfully. I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to be respectful to you. Even though I may think it's wrong, it's the respect that we should have one for another. It's all yeah. about respect, one for another. 100%. I actually I heard this recently on a podcast talking about negotiation strategy, and they interviewed the woman responsible for negotiating the Paris Climate Accord, and I can't remember mm -hmm. her name, but she had to get the buy-in from 190 or so countries, all with competing yeah. interests. And she was really struggling to get Saudi Arabia to join this thing because they you know, that have their own interests. And she said, you know, he's like, well, how do you, how do you get someone to come over to your side? You know, how do you bring them over to change? How do you pull them over? I don't know what he said. He's like, she said, my role wasn't really to like convince people to come over and force them in or strong arm them in or push them over. It's really as like this gardener. I was just a gardener of this fertile ground that we all humans, you know, are possessing. We have separate interests, but I was just trying to fertilize it with different things and find ways for all of the flowers to kind of flourish. And she said she didn't have a negotiation strategy as much as, and I'll say this, I'll probably repeat this on another episode because I just think it was beautiful what she said. So it wasn't a negotiation strategy, it was an understanding strategy. Yeah. Like I just was yeah. trying to very much, like you just said, find common ground, find the things we can both agree on. We disagree about a lot. 
but hey, we're all human beings. We all want to live on this earth. We all want to live like in, you know, we, we want to succeed on this planet for decades to come. And it's hard to focus on long-term gains when you're looking just at the short-term things you, you might have to negotiate on. But Well, it's like someone yeah. buying on price. We all have buyers out there that are price buyers. And I think to really be fair and for them to understand what you do and how you do it and the value and in a lot of cases, the unintended benefits that that customer gets in buying from you, that they have to understand, look, we exist to make profit. There is a level of profit that we need to make. And we understand that there's a level of, you know, there's, there's money that you want to save. Certainly, we can come to a middle ground where there's a price that is fair, that satisfies your needs from a buying perspective, and hits all the notes you want to hit, but is fair for us that continues to allow you, us to offer you that same great product and service you expect time and time again. And have that conversation up front. I had to have it a lot of times. I said, look, there's a price that's fair for both of us. You know, let's come to the middle on that and agree where we can both exist because I don't want to feel like every time that I am trying to help you and to serve you that I get the short end of the stick. And I don't think it's fair for you to always be winning in our arrangement. Otherwise, I'm not going to be motivated to continue to serve you in the way that I need to serve you in the way you expect because I'm not motivated. Yeah. Because if I'm always playing from behind, how motivated am I going to be when you run out of French fries <laughs> or when you run out of – yeah. That was going to be the, the title of my book, Before People Buy From People. The title of my book what was happens? actually going to be, Do You Have Any Fries in Your Trunk? And I actually got asked that one time by a customer of mine when I was in the food service industry. I don't even know what to say to that. Do you have any, <laughs> well, no, most people don't, man. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is, is, <laughs> is, is that is, a thing is, in West Virginia? Yeah. Well, this lady, I'll tell the story real quick. I rolled up on this customer out in the country, and she did a lot of business with a power plant a couple miles down the road. Every day yeah. she would do, gosh, probably 100 lunches a day for this power plant. And she came to me and she said, I came in one day to get my food order every Tuesday at like 10 o'clock. And she said, Brian, 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 do you have any fries in your trunk? <laughs> what do you say to that? Like, good morning, you know? And yeah, so let I'm me like, get yeah. Oh, yeah. what kind? What, like from yeah. where? Yeah. I got a and whole. whole <laughs> and, yeah. And I was driving a Chevy Cavalier at the time, a two door Chevy Cavalier. Like I've got an ice chest in the back of my trunk in this thing, man. I could barely get, yeah, I could barely get a suitcase back maybe, there. You want me to load some fries up for you? Maybe she saw Chevy Cavalier. You must have. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. But I told her, I said, I, her name was Robin. I said, Robin, if I were David Copperfield and magically make these fries appear for you, I, would. I wouldn't be schlepping groceries. Now let's get to where I can really help you. I love it. That was a nice yeah. uh, line. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of people, you know, have the, there's a lot of sales training around this. I don't know where this started. I don't know it's Dale Carnegie, but they want a win-win scenario, yeah. you know, and I've heard it phrased a little differently. Like, and I think it was from a guy I love, a real big entrepreneur, Jesse Itzler, and he talks about mm -hmm. no-lose scenarios, mm -hmm. like meaning like you don't have to win for me to win. I like situations where it's like neither one of us lose anything. We don't yeah. necessarily looking to give up. Like people are like, what do I have to give up for this to work? Mm. And then you feel like a little cheated and dirty. We No one wants to give up anything. We just don't want to be, we all want to be better off. But what if you thought like, oh, like not only will I be better off, I'm not, I'm not going to, like I can't lose. I can't be worse off. There's nothing that will happen will make me worse off for working with yeah. Brian or Alex because of the scenario. And maybe I have to, concede something or whatever but in the end me conceding something i don't lose it in the end i yeah, gain right. i gain from from even if i if i gave something up i still come out ahead so that's another way to look at i like to look at win mm -hmm. winning um, well you know and in some cultures for instance when i sold in in the food service industry you had cultures like the hispanic culture the chinese culture they would just beat you down for the lowest possible price Yes, because that was ingrained in them from their culture and their training sure. was sure. get the best price, get the best price, sure. get the best price. And so it was hard 
a lot of times to go, well, where can I actually make money? Because when I was selling food, I worked for a company where we got paid eight and a half percent of gross profit and we were a commission-based team. And so, man, every nickel that I could make was a little bit that I could make for myself and feed my family. And so you got to that point where it's like, man, why even try to go after that business? I know how this song's going to end. And most of the time it sucks and nothing against, and listen, there are some wonderful people in those businesses. It's just the way they are trained from a business standpoint. A lot of times they think of price first. And so I flipped the script on one of, one of my accounts one day, they were beating me up over price. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, can I come into your restaurant? It was a fine dining restaurant, Alex. I said, can I come into your restaurant and bring my wife in the, and they're like, oh, Brian, we'd love to have you and your wife. Yeah, come on. I said, cool. I said, let me, let me grab your menu real quick. So, okay. I said, I think I'm going to have the filet, the $28.95 filet. And I said, I'm going to get that thing medium. I said, my wife's probably going to have a filet. I said, but instead of $28.95, I want you to sell it to me for $23.95. Cause that that's a little much. By the time we add tip in, man, that dinner's gonna be expensive. Well, that's our menu price. I said, oh, wait a minute. I said, I want you to sell that to me for $23.95. I said, and then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna order other things, but I'm gonna take 30 days to pay you. And when I pay you, I'm gonna bounce a check. Is that cool? Yeah. And they were like, wait, wait, wait. And I said, listen, when I come to sell you groceries, you're constantly beating me up for price. You're constantly asking me what my price on this is, what my price on that is. I said, you take 30 days to pay me. Then when you pay me, there are times you bounce a check on me. I don't get paid until you pay your bill. And so how is that fair to my family and I? You wouldn't want me to do that to you. I mean, is there something else? And believe it or not, Alex, the relationship, I got paid Proved. faster. Yeah. Sure. I got paid faster sure you did. than my competitors got I'm paid. I'm sure you did. Yeah. And there were no more bouncing checks because what I said resonated with them. Because for me, I was always in a position of having to retreat because the company that I worked for, that was the truth. The salesperson didn't get paid until the customer paid. Right. And so I was kind of working for free for about 40 days. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's kind of hard to tell the electric company, Hey, you know what? I got a nice check coming on my commission check. So I got to be here for 40 days. If you could hold on and I'll get that paid here in about 40 days. It doesn't work that way, man. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really human approach to what that scenario is. Cause I bet you there was a lot of times like you got jaded your first reaction, like, can I get it for this price? Most people just go, no, of course not. You can't. Instead of like taking the approach of like, okay, let's like try to reframe this in, into like a context that you might understand with your business. Yeah. Again, going back to common ground and relating, like I could, can't do that for you. And then you just ask a simple question, like, how is that fair? And they have to think about that. Like that's not mm-hmm. fair. And so they came to that realization on their own. So like when you say no and just shut the door, they're like, well, fine, I, I'll go find it somewhere else. You know, maybe you're just a commodity. I'm, I'm going to find, you know, a better price somewhere else. Instead of like just realizing themselves that what their ask was, was just, you know, a little, like everybody wants to be aggressive and feel like they won. Like it's totally great, like to negotiate, negotiate. You want to give a low anchor and see if you can meet in the middle. And that's shrewd negotiators do that all the time. But, you know, even better ones go like, how is that fair? Mm-hmm. You know? Or they don't go, that's not fair. That's a mm-hmm. real big difference. If you were just What's, like, no, that's not fair. I can't give it to you for that. Then they'd be like, all right, Brian, I'll find it somewhere else. But if you're like asking them, then they have to like think about it themselves and yeah. provokes thought in their own life. They're like, you're right. My bad. All right, Brian, you got me. You know, you're, you're fair. Well, yeah, if, if, if you provided yeah. value, if you provided value to them, and, you know, you're always kind, you're a great person to work with, and, you, and you, you always help them, then they realize that what I'm asking is kind of just a little over the top. You know? Well, and, and try walking into your favorite restaurant here before too long when they're back open and say, hey, I know you've got that on the menu. Man, that's my favorite dish. I know you got that on the menu for 
thirteen ninety five. I'm only willing to pay ten for it today. Yeah, and yeah, see yeah. what happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a negotiation. Like, uh, sir, yeah. It's, yeah, you'll learn about negotiation. You'll yeah. learn about negotiation real quick when you. Do yeah. That. I heard a lot of people like kind of train people to negotiate by doing that, and you know what things can you get out of people. But if you know what works is trying to be like tell them why, tell them like a story, tell them something, and then if they connect to that themselves, like yeah. oh I have a business, I have a family. Oh, you're trying to use this for your family. You're trying to use. I can't do it for that, but I could do this. I can't do it for that, but I could do that. You know that sort of thing. But price, yeah, that's a, that's a great concept. Hey, so let me kind of switch gears a little bit. What are some things, you know, I, I could talk to you forever, man. What are some things you think, because this is really all about, I'm, I'm trying to help people, both people that are not in quote unquote sales positions, understand that like all the stuff that we were talking about today, it's all stuff that you have inside of you. You don't need a training for this stuff. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars on sales training for this stuff. It's within so what are some things that both non-sales people and even like, let's just group them all together. Most sales people can do to really do what you said in the beginning, like really focus on people and focus on their lives. What are a couple things that you would tactically give them? Maybe they could be principles too, that people can bring into their careers, their day to day, if they're not yeah. in sales or even if they are. So what a great question, Alex. So let's start with this one phrase. Peter Drucker said, nothing happens until somebody sells something. Okay. Love it. So when you think about everything that you have, everything around you, literally somebody sold it. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said there about non-sales people. For years, I never considered myself to be a salesperson. You know what I considered myself to be? Yeah. I again I considered myself to be a customer engagement specialist because mm-hmm. I didn't want my customers to feel like I was selling anything to them. Here's what I wanted to do for them. One, I wanted to help their business become more successful. I'll give you a quick story behind that. So when I was in the heavy duty rotating electrics industry, that's starters and alternators for large trucks and school buses and, and things like that. I was in a dealership. I was in a truck dealer in Charleston, South Carolina. So I walk in the door and above the parts department was a big sign that said no returns on electrical parts. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so I got a few minutes with Bruce, the parts manager. And I said, Bruce, explain the sign to me. I'm curious. Now you had me at hello. What's behind the sign? He said, Brian, we don't sell a lot of electrical parts. We don't make a lot on them. You know, it's more, he was telling me all the reasons that my product was a hassle to him instead of a necessity. And I said, Bruce, I got a question for you. Do you know what you make every time a starter alternator goes out your door? And he said, well, I think we make this. And I said, you think you make this? (laughs) If you sold brake pads out of this place or brake shoes, And I went around and I pointed out all the things he had on sale. I said, I bet you know what you make on that. I bet you know what you make on that. I bet you know what you make on that. He goes, yeah, you're right. I said, okay, what if you could make equal to or better than on electrical parts? And he says, what? I said, what if you could make equal to or better than? I said, what do you sell the most of? And he was selling my competitor's parts. And I said, Bruce, guess what? Everybody in this town is selling that part. You're competing against everybody else, and it's a race to the bottom. For who's going to sell it for the cheapest price? And I said, don't you want to be somebody that makes money on everything you sell out of here? Yeah, I do. So, okay, I'm going to help you do that. Alex, by the time I left, we had that dealership, one of the, they were a, a group, they were one of, of six dealers in Georgia and South Carolina. My sales partner and I, we had our parts in all six locations by the time I left because we did not focus on what everybody else was doing. We focused on what we did that could do what it, and what it could do for them. And I revolutionized my territory like that because I went and I used that strategy in six states and I went to every dealer and I said, why don't you do that? Because everybody around them was selling the same thing. And I said, why are you playing in that sandbox? You're going to lose trying to compete. You're going to lose. And so for me, 
to answer your question, you have to find out what you do better than everybody else and then tell everybody else what you do that's better. And then you get them to have that aha moment or that V8 moment. And then you go, listen, if you'll give me the opportunity to show you what I'm telling you, would you at least take the opportunity? And if I'm wrong, you don't ever have to buy anything else from me again. But if I'm right, all I would ask you is this, let me help train your salespeople, your outside salespeople to do this. And let's help together, let's help build your business on this part of your business. And that's how I took a territory when I got it of about a half a million dollars. We were doing close to a million. We were right at a million dollars when I left. That's awesome. I love that strategy. Personal story, I'm getting coached right now. I'm actually doing cold calls. Like I'm an enterprise sales rep, but I'm searching for work right now. And in the midst of it, I'm helping out a friend at an IT services firm make cold calls. I'm just going back to my roots and doing cold calls. And it's Isn't that fun, man? Isn't it, that oh, great? man, cold yeah. calling. Like, dude, yeah. you just, like, every call is different. Like, the, just the subtleties and people's voice, how people react, different types of people, like, different you, reactions. You totally you have the vibe to do that, too. Uh, you totally have yeah, the vibe yeah, to do that yeah, because yeah. here's the thing, man. Personality shines through the phone. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and I just how try to you be natural. With people does it. Yeah. 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 So I was doing some role plays this morning and, you know, I don't know anything. I have no background in what I'm selling. Okay. So when I, you know, sell, I always want to know someone, you always want to know everything and tell every, every like thing yeah. that you do. And like, you want to get to the value. This is what we can do. And here's all that we have. And this is how we can help your business. And people don't give a crap. And, you know, you, you say a lot of fluffy stuff. And I do, I kick yep. myself for doing it too. Like, oh, we're, this is what we do. And you know, you kind of beat around what you do and cause you don't want people to think you're selling them. But my coach was like, dude, forget all the, the French pastry stuff and just get to the, the meat or the, yeah. the, what you're selling me. It's just a, an easy framework. We know you, we can help you. And here's how we do it. All the well, other stuff is French pastry. We know yeah. you, we help you. Here's how we help you. And it's just like you said that, like, you're asking questions. Here's, you know, we know you're this business. Yeah. We know what you're trying to do. It's a race yeah. to the bottom. Here's what we could do. We can help you. Okay. I show and show that. And here's how we can help you. And they're yeah. like, aha. And then, you know, off to the races. But So here's two things real quick. You were talking about the non-sales person. How, to, how about non-sales? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, do it. Yeah. Here's two. Here's two things, real quick. Number one, you take a little bit and you turn it into a lot. So when my dad recruited me into the heavy duty electrics business, I am the least mechanically inclined person you know. But what I did was, my dad would teach me a little bit. I would put it into my brain. I would start to then repeat it in the mm-hmm. right situations, and then I got comfortable with the terminology. Then I would ask questions of people who are way, we had in our, in our little family company in West Virginia, when I got into that business, we had literally one of the most technically advanced people in our company in the United States. There were people from all over the United States that would call and talk to this guy. They would specifically call and ask to talk to him about really technical questions. And no joke, Alex, his name is Howie. When I would call him, he'd go, hey, Brian. What are you doing today, son? You out there sailing? He was, but he was brilliant. He was brilliant at his craft. And I was smart enough to go on Fridays when we would go down to the office. I was smart enough to spend 30 minutes or so with Howie and just pick his brain and he would teach me. And that's how I just accumulated knowledge and accumulated knowledge. So tip number one for you non-sales people Become an investor, take a little bit and grow it into a bunch. And that's how you're going to become really proficient. The Got second it. thing is to ask questions that nobody else is asking. Mm. So when I transitioned into the world of pharmaceuticals, I worked for a, a pharmacy chain and my job was to detail offices. And I dove into the territory and I said, okay, why aren't we calling on this set of doctors. Why aren't we going here? And what I did was the first thing I did was I tied a pharmacy to a set of doctors. Even if we had a pharmacy 20 minutes away, 
from these set of doctors, I knew that there was a good chance that their patients that lived in that little town where our pharmacy was going, they were going to these doctors and vice versa. So I would walk in and go, hey, I know a, a certain percentage of your patients are already filling with our pharmacy anyway, and we know that most people want to keep their medications with one source, so why don't you give us the opportunity to help your patients that are already comfortable with what we do and how we do it? I was asking a different question than was being asked out there in the market. And the third thing is, fill a need that nobody else wants to touch. So in in regards to that, so the focus of our program with that specialty pharmacy company was a certain disease state because it was quick turns, it was constant turns and things like that. What the market was telling us though, where we were pulling in a lot of referrals, we were pulling them in on the harder to fill drugs. And it was a constant battle between myself and this, the leadership team because they wanted this because it, it was quick revenue turn. I said, but yeah, the market is already saturated there. Let's go over here where we provide super value to where this piece of the market is dying for what we do mm. and how we do it. And that's how I was able to, that was another V8 moment of listen to the market, listen to the marketplace, but do something that most people aren't willing to do because at that point you start growing that piece of the business and then all of a sudden people are going, well, they must be doing something. Now you become a market leader instead of chasing, you become the one that they come to. That's actually how I got recruited into patient access was I actually got recruited by sales reps, pharmaceutical sales reps that go, man, Every office we go to is telling me they use you. You must be doing something that nobody else is doing. Yeah, so, reputation. Yeah, yeah, so that's for you non-sales people out there. If, if it'll help you, I mean, that's just some things that I learned. And you're constantly learning. Don't ever be, tip number four, always be looking at what's going on out there. Yeah. And don't think that you have to cram so much knowledge in your head pick snippets of information and put them in your brain because a snippet of information today will be something you can use tomorrow. I do that all the time. I take something from my past experience and I apply it to today and it's targeted. It's spot on. I love it. Brian, you're giving all sorts of value here. Thank you so much. I wrap this all up with something about you and it's just something fun. People don't know about you. So my question has been, and it may stump some people, but what is something could be an event or something that could only or would only happen to Brian Sexton. Maybe something <laughs> crazy in your life. You know, the one thing, Alex, Yeah. and I'll share this with you. So a guy I go to church with, our bass player at our church, he's a really neat guy. He's a younger guy. I think, I think he's like 33, 34, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit older. But he calls me one day and he's listening to my podcast. And he's talking to a guy I've sang with at a quartet for – 12 years. And he tells me about this conversation and he said, Brian is the one guy that literally knows people you would not think Brian knows, but he knows all these different people and he's connected with people in so many different ways. I think my wife said that too. She said, I can't believe the people that you know. For me, that's just always been a moniker of, I just want to get to know really cool people really interesting people like yourself, Alex. And, and, you know, for me, it's just reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm just interested in connecting. That's all I want. I had a comment. I got to share this with you real quick. I learned this. A dear friend of mine is the oldest brother of the duck dynasty Robertson family, Al Robertson. He's a dear friend of mine. My family and I went on the duck commander cruise about six years ago and I saw how fame is crushing. And what I said to Al one day, I said, Al, here's the thing, man. I just want to be your friend. I don't care how famous you and your family are. I don't care about that. I said, I don't want anything from you. I just want to be your friend. That's awesome. I said, because I saw up close, man, dude, they had to put security. People found out what floor of the ship they were sailing on. They had to post 24-hour security. Because they couldn't even go leave their room without people mobbing them. And I saw that. 
because everybody wants a piece of you when you get to that level. And if you'll just realize that all you want to do is connect, the whole world is open to connecting with you from people that are not famous to people that have a certain level of celebrity. And so that's what I learned is just connect with people, give more than you ask and people will come back to you. Man, I was going to end it on that story, but you're making me think of a personal story. Two things about celebrities. I've met yeah. the Tonight Show with, why can't I think of his name? It's like late Jimmy night. Jimmy Fallon. After, after Jimmy Fallon. After oh, Seth Conan, Myers. After Seth, British comedian. Oh, James Corden. James Corden. Yeah. I was at a Boys to Men concert in Las Vegas. This is my, I have so many, but I'll share with the listeners my one of my stories to this question. In a Boys to Men concert, my wife got us amazing tickets, third row, and we're just, you know, loving life. And then all of a sudden, all these people are crowding around somebody in, in like a couple of stand seats back. And it's James Corden and everyone's getting selfies and everything. And I got like caught up in it. And I go over and of course, I'm, you know, get my selfie with him. And he takes my phone and he takes a picture. <laughs> and he's with his wife and friends. He just wanted to have a good time, right? Because Boys to Men actually came off the stage, walked right next to us. We're like, oh, and like walked up to him and they were high-fiving. It was, it was a great moment. Well, I leave my wife. My wife could care less about celebrities. I leave my wife at a great moment, great concert. It was such a great thing. And he takes my phone, takes a selfie. I look at it later and he's, I'm like, you know, like given this great face and he's like this. And I'm like, you know, he's a comedian. Yep. And I'm like, oh my God, he's like pissed off. And then she was so mad at me that I left her. And why would yep. I leave my wife in a concert just for the selfie? I got caught up in like the wrong thing, yep. you know, instead of just being like, you don't need a selfie with every celebrity. Just go like, hey man, I love your show. Like I'm a huge fan. Like it's awesome that you're here. Yeah. I hope you're having a great night. And then just walk away. You know, no one's doing that. Where I, I, I met a Common at an airport. Common, the singer, mm-hmm. the rap artist. Yep. He was just, you know, getting mobbed in Austin. This was actually after the Sales Success Conference. Shout out to Scott Ingram and the Sales Success community. After that conference, I'm leaving Austin. He's just chilling by himself. All these people go up to him, mobbing selfies. I just go up to him and go, hey, man, I just love your work. I love your music, man. Your lyrics are powerful, dude. And he just gives me a high five and goes, looks me right in the eye and goes, Man, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. That's it. I don't have a picture to prove it happened. It just felt yeah. better. And what am I going to do with the picture? Put it on Facebook? Yeah. Okay. So, well, and, 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 I, and I'll tell you this because I know we've come to the end of the road. Yes. From your voice to men. Yes. Ah, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. So that the Duke picture behind me, I'll tell you real quick what, what happened there was I just used my sales my people connecting acumen. Mm-hmm. I just started connecting with people in that camp. I'd, I'd show up there, you know, to pick up my son or be there to, to watch games or something. And you just get to know, we got to know one of the student managers. He works for the NBA now. Coach K's son-in-law, we got to know him. That's how I was able to go, hey, who do I need to talk to in the basketball office to get a book signed? And then ultimately, that's how that led to that signed picture. It's not hey, what can you do for me? It's like, hey, mm. you know, work up Here's a conversation. Already. Two or three days worth of conversations led to, hey, just a simple question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but how would I go about doing this? And Chris Patola is his name. He said, hey, go up to the third floor of the basketball office, see Edna. Tell her I sent you. Yeah. And so my okay. wife went up there. Yeah. And so, you know, again, man, it's all about, if you focus on connection or salespeople, everything else opens up. But Agreed. most of the time, we're so concerned about our objectives and our motives, and we've got to talk about this, we've got to talk about that. If you focus on connection first, everything else opens up. 100%. And actually, funny you say that, I've had other guests say the same thing on previous podcasts and previous episodes. And this was a great connection. I'm so glad it happened. Maybe I should have said something else like uh, pat on the backs only 18 inches from a kick in the butt. You know, yeah. I mean, I'll just end it with this. Like, I love that, by the way. I mean, there are universal principles. It seems so basic and easy. I'm like, connection, duh. But it's so difficult. There's your book, man. There's the title of your book. (laughs) Connection. (laughs) Duh. Duh. Yeah. I just came up with it. Yeah. But, I you mean, go. you know, it's so basic, but people, you know, sometimes struggle with it. And I'm hoping with this that 
we unlock the mysteries behind it. And I don't think they're, they're really mysteries at all, but for some people they are. But either way, Brian Sexton, man, you gave so much here and I'm so just happy for your connection and me too, Alex. for more, more things. Me that too. I'm sorry. I took thing. I took thing. Listen, I am a conversationalist at heart. <laughs> I want to have real unscripted conversations with people. I appreciate the fact that you allowed me to do that today on the selling human podcast. And again, I'll, let me leave you with this encourage over expertise. Everybody can be an expert. Very few people can be encouragers. And that's why I'm so purposeful about encouragement because the world is full of experts, but what we really need, and especially in times like these, we need way, we need lots more encouragers. Percent agree, Brian. Thank you so much. And look forward to seeing what you, you do more and encouraging all of us. Yep. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. And by the way, Selling Human podcast listeners, this man's coming on the Intentional Encourager podcast because <laughs> you're going to have to, to download that episode, okay? So, All right, you know. so you, you almost made me leave. Where can people find you, man? Where, where can people find you and connect with you, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. So connect with me on LinkedIn, Brian Sexton, MBA. You know, it just sounded nice to put MBA <laughs> on the end of that, you know. I like it. You can find me there. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Sexton 13 the podcast page also has a Twitter handle, Intentional ENC, the number one, the Intentional Encourager podcast on all the, the podcast platforms. Yeah, so we're on Facebook. We have Brian Sexton. Find me on the Intent. That's the Intentional Encourager podcast page. So shoot me a message. You know, I, I love to connect with everybody and anybody, as you well know, Alex. So anything that I can do to help, any encouragement or expertise that you need from me, just, you know, I'm, I'm here to help the LinkedIn community. Awesome. Gang, he gave you all the places to find him. Go be intentional and connect with Brian. Brian, thank you so much. Alex, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Humans.